I remember when I was 15 years old and I counted down the days until I was 16 and could get my driver's license. December the 8th, 1973, I turned 16. I went to school. I didn't think about anything related to school a whole day. All I could think about was I was going to get my driver's license that afternoon. So school was out. I went up to the courthouse, which is where we went in Georgia, and I took the test, and I took the driving test, and I passed. And I was free. I was free. I could drive a car without my mom or without anybody else sitting in the car beside me. I was free. So, to show off my new freedom, I wanted to go visit my friends. So, I asked uh, my mom and my stepfather if I could borrow the car. And they said, sure, be home at 6. Well, I rolled in about 6.20. There were a couple of very unhappy parents in that house. And they let me know that 6 o'clock meant 6 o'clock and I lost my newfound freedom for three days, all because I was 20 minutes late. So I learned a very important lesson. The first lesson I learned was that even though I had freedom to drive, that they still owned the car, I was still their child, and that meant that they were the ones who set the guidelines. But also, I learned a second lesson a little bit later on. With this newfound freedom, when I finally got it back after the three days, uh, I was excited because I could now go on dates and wouldn't have to have an adult in the back seat. <laughs> when you, uh, that was exciting for me. Uh, we could go on dates now, and man, what freedom that was. So one, one night out on a date, I'm coming back home from seeing a movie, and uh, as I was going along, uh, I, I wasn't paying too much attention, well, to driving, that is, but I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to that, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and there were flashing lights, so I pulled over, and the friendly state trooper came up and informed me that I had been speeding, but he said that he was just going to let me go uh, with a warning instead of giving me a ticket. I was very relieved, and I thanked him. And in my nervous adolescent attempt at humor, I said, it's a good thing because having to pay a fine would really cut into my dating life. <laughs> at which point, the state trooper leaned down to the window, and he said, son... He said, it's not about the money. He said, I want you to understand the importance of driving safely so that the next time I see you out here, it's not scraping what's left of you and your girlfriend up off the highway. Now, y'all have a nice day. <laughs> and I learned another lesson that my driver's license represented a whole lot more than just permission to drive. It also represented my commitment to drive safely and that there would be consequences if I did not. Well, believe it or not, there are applications to the Christian life as well because when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're free. Now, 
We need to talk about what we're free from and what we are free to do. But John 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When Jesus spoke about knowing the truth, he was talking about knowing God's revelation to mankind. And God's revelation to mankind is found in Jesus Christ. So the point is, to know the truth is to know Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. To know the truth is to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus frees us from sin. It frees us from darkness. It frees us from ignorance. It frees us from prejudice. It frees us from superstition and a whole host of other things. But it's not a freedom for us to go out and to live any way we want. By knowing the one who is the truth and by coming to him, And by being set free by him. With that also comes a responsibility for us to live the truth. In the light of the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. Charles Stanley makes a point that true freedom not only involves living without the chains of sin. But it also involves living without the chains of sin. Of destructive behavior. Meaning that, that we, we, we like to think of the fact that we are free from our sin, but we are also free from the destructive behavior that we've been ex- exhibiting in our lives. So when freedom comes to us through Christ, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, when we believe the truth, when we accept Jesus Christ, we need to remember that we indeed are not our own, That we are children of God, that he sets the guidelines, and that salvation is not a freedom to live any way we choose, but rather it's a commitment to live according to the one who is the truth and to follow the truth in our lives. Now, when we think about that basic understanding That's a long way to get to the passage from James that we're going to look at today. But I think it's important for us to understand that up front. The idea of freedom and the idea of responsibility. James, in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the last two verses in the book. We read, My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wonder from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. These passages follow a passage that we looked at part of last week where it really talks about our our relationship in a community of faith. Last week we talked about, James said, if you're sick, he said, Call the elders of the church. There's that community aspect. And, and they will come and, and, and pray for you. And he also talked about the idea of believers confessing their sins to one another. So there's the, the, that interaction that we as believers in Christ have with one another. So in essence, what he says here really follows in that same, that same idea. 
But here's what we need to, to realize, and here's why I've kind of separated this out. Because James, as he closes this letter, talks about those who might wonder. He talks about those who might wonder. Now, he's talking about those who might wonder from the truth. He's not talking about those who might wander off from this church and go become involved in another church. He's not talking about those who might get mad at something and who might wander off. He's not talking about that either. What he's talking about here is he's talking about people who wander from the truth. People who wander from Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. And it's sad because we all know someone who's wandered from the truth. And to wander from something implies that you had to be close to it at one time or another. In order to wander from the truth, you had to know or believe the truth at one time. Or you had to at least be close enough to it. You can't wander from something that you were never close to in the first place. Now, I know people who have wandered from the truth. You know people who have wandered from the truth. We all know. In fact, there's probably a face that comes to mind of someone who's wandered from the truth. Maybe it was someone who was, was a believer who was very active in a community of faith and, and involved in all sorts of service things and all of a sudden just kind of wandered off and is not connected anymore with a community of faith. Maybe it's, it's someone who came to Christ, but they never really found their place in the church. And they may have wandered off. Or, or maybe it's, it's someone who, who was just this close to accepting the truth, but wandered off. Or maybe it was someone who thought Christianity was just the freedom to live any way that they wanted to. So they wandered off. It can happen in a whole bunch of different ways. But wonder also implies something that's gradual. It, it, at least it does to me. It's something that's gradual. So if it's gradual, if we are really paying attention to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then, then maybe we should be able to notice when someone is wandering from the truth. But the fact that it's gradual also can mean that sometimes it just happens so slowly and gradually that by the time you really realize it, that person's wandered off and gone. And you're wondering, where in the world did they go? Why do people wander? All sorts of reasons. But there are two main categories, I think, of wanderers. They're, they're people who wander uh, in their thinking. They wander in their thinking. They, they maybe start to think that Jesus, ah, he was just kind of a good guy. He really wasn't, wasn't God in the flesh. And that leads to all kinds of problems. Or, or maybe they start watering down the authority of Scripture and just paying attention to the things that they like. Or maybe they wander off and follow some other philosophy or some other uh, personality that's telling them what they want to hear instead of the truth. People can wander off for all sorts of reasons in their thinking. People can also wander off in the way that they live. What happens is that their behavior becomes increasingly contrary to Scripture. And what they try to do then is as it becomes more and more contrary to Scripture, what they start doing is they start rationalizing what they're doing. People can wonder. You probably have a face that comes to mind. I think this is vitally important from the, for the church. And I think it's important for us as we look at these two passages of Scripture 
is that we realize that the church is called, certainly, as individual Christians, to go out and to share our faith. We talk about evangelism. That's the term that we use. It's the idea that, that we who have been changed by Christ, who have been made new, are to go out and to share our faith with other people and invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, churches put a lot of emphasis on that, and they should. They should. They're, that's what we're called to do that. And some churches also put a lot of emphasis on visiting the sick and the dying and the shut-ins. And that's important too. We're called to do that as well. But James follows all of that with an appeal for us that in the process of going out and trying to bring new believers into the faith and in the process of trying to care for those who are going through difficult times in the faith, don't neglect the wanderers. Don't neglect those who are wandering or who have wandered off. There are people who may be perfectly fine physically, but are wandering off and have become sick spiritually and may be dying spiritually. Because you see, we can evangelize and baptize and do all of those things. And we can have a great ministry to the sick and to the shut-ins. But the point is, our care for one another, our care for each other as a church, is incomplete if we do not try to help Wanderers return to God's way. James says they are in grave danger. He says those who have wandered are in danger. Now, people will say, well, is he saying they're in danger of losing their salvation? Or, or is he saying that, that maybe they're in some type of physical danger? Or does he mean that, that they're in danger because they really weren't believers in the first place? Well, those are discussions you can have later. But James' point in bringing this up is not so we can have some type of theological discussion about salvation. James is bringing it up for the simple reason. He says, look, people are wandering from the truth. Go get these people. That's James' point. He doesn't want you to go into some theological debate about why they wandered off. He doesn't want you to go into some theological debate about where they are and are they really Christians or are they not. <clears throat> James says if there were people in your fellowship or people who are your friends or people who are your family members who have wandered from the truth, don't debate the issue. Go get them. That's what James is trying to say here. Go get these people. You think about it. If you're standing talking to somebody and you look out and there's somebody drowning in a lake, you're standing by there by the lake admiring the beauty and there's somebody out there drowning. Well, do you just stand there on the shore and talk about the person and talk about how stupid it was for him to go out there in the lake in the first place because he couldn't swim? And you sit there and you talk about it and say, well, you know, looks like somebody ought to go out there and help that guy. Or do you take action, whatever action, and try to save the person? That's what James is saying. James is saying, look, just stop just shaking your heads when somebody wanders from the faith. 
Or stop shaking your fingers at someone who's wandered from the faith. And try to rescue these people. They are in danger. And God has called us to be a part of their rescue. I think that one of the challenges for us as a church is in this area. Because I know it's easy. It's easy for us to just sometimes just to, to kind of write somebody off. You know, we say, well, they knew the truth. They knew the truth. We, we preach the truth here. We, we tell them the truth here. They, they, they knew the truth. They, they, they knew better than to do this. Well, yes, truth exists. And, and that's why I spent some time at the beginning talking about, you know, that, that there is truth. That truth indeed does exist. But we need to be careful. Because sometimes, and I've said this before, there's kind of, sometimes there's the grace-only crowd and the truth-only crowd. If you can imagine a, a highway along a big cliff, the, the grace-only crowd doesn't put any kind of warning signs or anything in the roadway up above, but they put a bunch of ambulances at the bottom to help people when they drive off. Then the truth-only crowd, they put signs and guardrails up at the top, but they don't have any ambulances down to, to help those who might, who might drive off. And so what we are called to do as God's people is not apologize for the truth, to preach the truth. But at the same time, we are to be instruments of grace. And as it relates to those who are wandering from the faith, you know, I, I think one of the points is that, that we sin. That we sin if we do not hold those who wander accountable to the truth. And you might say, wait a minute, how, how in the world can we sin they're the ones sinning, aren't they? They've wandered from the truth. How can we sin? Well, James said back in chapter 4, in verse 17, he said that if we know what to do and don't do it, it's a sin. And when we talked about the churches in Revelation some months ago, one of the things that God had against those, some of those churches was the fact that they weren't holding people accountable. And we need to. We need to hold people accountable to the truth who are our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We need to hold them accountable to the truth. Now, people will say all the time, well, but you know, um, I, I just, I'm not their judge. I'm not their judge. James doesn't say you are. James doesn't say anything about judging. He says absolutely nothing about judging these people. He's not telling you to punish these people. What James is doing is he's giving you permission to hold fellow believers accountable to the truth. That's what he's doing here. He's giving you permission to do that. Because in doing so, you are rescuing them from all sorts of trouble. And you're restoring them into a relationship with the body of Christ. You're not judging them. You're holding them accountable to the truth. And there's a big difference. And James says that's what we need to be about. And we are failing if we don't do that. Because James says here that you might prevent a whole host of other problems. 
Let's look at verse 20 again. Verse 20 says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Yes, when, when we go and, and when we bring someone who has wandered from the faith, when we bring them back, when we bring them back, certainly God forgives them when they repent of their sins. He does. But what we need to look at also is how much disaster, how much sin was prevented because we took the initiative and went out to rescue these people. Think about it. Maybe you know some guy at work. He's a Christian. Maybe you go to church with him. But, but you know he's getting pretty close to somebody else who's not his wife. I mean, you can see it, you can tell it, and it's getting pretty obvious. And you go to him, and you say, look, here's what I see. And, and you talk to him, and he realizes, yeah, that's, that's where I'm headed. And if you rescue him from that, not, not only is, is he forgiven, but look what you've prevented. You've prevented the sin of adultery, that he would go out and follow through with what he was thinking about. Think about the heartache that his spouse would have gone through when she found out that her husband was having an affair. Think of the trouble the children would have gone through and how that would have shaken up the home. Think of maybe the people you save from some kind of addiction because they would have turned to drugs or alcohol to cope with what was going on. And think of the bitter, bitter battle of divorce. Think of all of that. None of that happened. None of that happened. Why? Because you took the initiative to rescue a believer in Christ who was wandering from the truth. Not only did you bring him back and restore him, but look what was prevented. It's covering a multitude of sins. You've, you've prevented an awful lot because you took the initiative. And it's important for us to do that. But you might say, well, and there's some kind of risk involved. Well, there is. I mean, if it's a friend, you, you may lose a friendship. You know, there's a good chance, at least initially, they'll tell you where you can go and what you can do. Mind your own business. Yeah, there's risk involved. May not be easy. But if you really love that person, it's worth the risk. If you really love them, it's worth the risk. Now, there's some things you can do to minimize the risk. One of the things you can do is make sure your information's correct. You know, don't hear something third or fourth hand and go charging off to confront somebody. And even if you've got all your facts straight, even if you know exactly what's going on, be open and listen. Because you may not know all the facts. You may not know everything. So listen. Make sure you show somebody from Scripture where they've gone wrong. Don't, don't, don't give them a, in my opinion, don't give them a I think, but give them a God's word says. 
You're a believer in Christ, my friend, and the Scripture says this. Also, go privately. Don't ever, in a public place, bring up something to try to bring someone back. Don't ever confront somebody in, in public or in a meeting or anything. I've seen that happen. It's disastrous. Go to the person privately. And also, if it's geographically possible, go to them in person. I know if they're halfway across the country, that may not be possible. But go to the person in person. And also go with the right attitude. The right attitude is one of love. You are going to, 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 conf- to hold them accountable. You are, are going to talk to them out of love for them. Out of love to save them from disaster. But also you need to go in humility. Because none of us are better than anybody else. But the really, the really humble part here is the realization that all of us, no matter how strong we think we are in the faith, there is always a chance that we can wander. So there's that humility aspect that I'm not better than you, and I know I'm tempted every day in different areas. But go to them in love. And go to them with a humble spirit. James wants us to understand that truth exists. Truth indeed exists. And that truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we read about the standard of truth. And we have his guidance in his word. All of that. We have it. But the truth that sets us free is a truth that doesn't set us free to do anything we want. It's a truth that sets us free to live life as God meant for it to be lived. It's a truth that sets us free not only to live a life here in this world, but to live eternally with Him. And we must hold to the truth, but we also have to hold others accountable to the truth, especially those who wander. And we have to understand. We have to have a clear understanding of what's at stake. Because what's at stake is that sin destroys. It always does. Sin destroys. And erroneous thinking can lead to destruction. That's what's at stake. And if we the church really care about each other, then we will not be indifferent toward wanderers and where they spend eternity. Let's pray.